the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Hello and welcome to this Lloyd's List podcast. The carbon neutral destination for shipping is clear and what's not clear is how we get there. Regional and national lawmakers are demanding a faster energy transition and as the climate changes so too does the opinion of the public along with that of the ship financiers and charterers. Already the tone of discussion within the industry has shifted from believing the energy transition is something to be decided at some unspecified time in the future to recognizing the urgency of beginning that process today. But how and which fuels and who's going to pay for it? DNV has been at the forefront of this discussion for many years. The classification society has built a suite of energy transition forecasts that are increasingly practical in their outlook. This week, DNV launches the 2021 update of its maritime forecast 2050. It assesses the issues of green finance, new building designs and the new decarbonisation stairway. Knut Orbeck Nielsen, Chief Executive of DNV Maritime, is here to discuss all this. Welcome, Knut. Hi, Richard. Great to be here. Thank you very much for the invitation. Let's begin, if we could, by putting this report into context. Um, at the beginning of August, a report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change issued a code red for humanity. And this will be underlined in just a few weeks' time at the COP26 meeting in Glasgow. Have you sensed a change in thinking among the wider shipowning community as regards alternative fuels? Absolutely, Richard. I think over the past at least two years, we've seen a, a tremendous increase in the momentum and the awareness around alternative fuels. And I think this also became evident as of end of last year's when we saw the first sort of really big new building orders for uh, LNG as fuel for the, especially the container vessels, but also some of the larger uh, VLCCs. And this has just continued this year. So with the introduction of the, the new uh, regulations from the IMO, uh, this is certainly on every ship owner's agenda. And I would say not only in the technical departments, but all the way up to the principles and the boardrooms. The Maritime Forecast 2050 acknowledges that a ship built now faces a significant risk that the most competitive fuel type in the ship's early life will not be the same at a later stage. That's a massive disincentive to invest in new tonnage. How can this risk be understood? Well, I think it's important to realize that in contrast to previous uh, big transformations in the shipping industry, uh, going from sail to steam, etc. Uh, now, the transition is not from one typical fuel that we use today to another very common uh, to, uh, fuel that will be used tomorrow. So we will see a multitude of different fuels and uh, that is sort of the main message of, of a uh, outlook report is that uh, the ship owner has to take into account some fuel flexibility because there will be many different fuels 
that are quite viable uh, as we progress throughout this decade and into the next. You identify three key drivers of change. Um, IMO regional and national regulations, the expectations of cargo owners and consumers and access to capital. Uh, surely these are normal pressures of commercial operation. Yeah, I think in many ways you can see you can say that these are normal and we've seen them before. I think what is really changing now is the fact that it is not so evident anymore that the IMO is the sole regulator of international shipping. And with the, say, the growing expectation amongst public at large, but certainly in certain regions like the EU, we see a stronger desire to regulate this uh, on a regional basis and with the strong ambitions also expressed by politicians in China, you know, South Korea, Japan, and also now with the new administration in the US, we are quite likely to see that national states take a, a stronger position in regulating shipping. Now, so that is in many ways creating a patchwork of regulations for an international trade, which naturally holds a lot of uh, complexity and difficulties. But now also in conjunction with this, we have sort of the, what I call the quiet ESG revolution that is also, uh, you know, hitting shipping. So the awareness around environmental, societal and, um, and governance and um, with that awareness, also the f access to finance, the popularity amongst the charters and the cargo owners, etc., are highly influenced by, you know, can ship owners show progress in these areas? So that's the sort of the three barriers that you highlighted, and they have certainly accelerated in importance over the past uh, year or two. We'll get to access to capital in a, in a minute or two if we can, but I'd like to move on to the meat of the uh, the report here, the, the decarbonisation stairway. Can you explain how would this model help a ship owner to stay compliant as regulations evolve? Yeah, I think that the concept of the stairway is just that these uh, trajectories, if you call them, um, for keeping compliant on the emission side, they are gradually, say, increasing or becoming more stringent as we move into uh, this decade. And uh, in, in a sense, you can say that the stairway makes sure that we stay on the right side of the trajectory. Being on the wrong side of the trajectory is certainly creating a risk, not only for being in compliance, but also a commercial risk. Staying below the trajectory, uh, which is a stepwise trajectory, by the way, uh, will help uh, the ship owner to stay compliant. So. The, the the decarbonization stairway is a way to stay abreast with the situation as it develops and as it becomes more stringent as we move along. And it's not only the IMO, it's also, you know, the Poseidon principles, the sea cargo charters, they all have different sort of gradients on these trajectories. So if a ship owner was, was looking to place an order for, in your case, the Newcastle Max uh, bulk carrier, bearing the decarbonisation stairway in mind, 
how should he work with the other stakeholders involved to ensure the vessel is compliant? Our experts, um, I'm sure, can give a very detailed answer to this, but I think it makes a lot of sense, at least when you are developing the specification for the vessel that you think about ordering, that you take into account some of the layout, some of the design principles. And if you take the example that we used in the report, uh, having a bulk carrier, thinking about alternative fuels that you might want to use later on, it makes a lot of sense at the design stage to make enough room on the aft deck for a cargo tank. And if you are thinking about ammonia as a potential future fuel that might be useful in your case as a ship owner, then it makes sure then it makes sense to make sure that this tank also has the same material properties to withstand the corrosiveness of ammonia. So it's certain say design issues, layout issues, general arrangement issues. And if you want to take it a bit further, you could also think about piping and some of the hardware on board. So really, this is a, a, a need for collaboration among many stakeholders in order to get the, the project through at the end of the day. Yeah, I would say it makes sense to, to start thinking about this and uh, as we expect that, you know, for now, and we said that also in last year's report, that a dual fuel gas engine is really the best choice uh, for most owners these days. But having the possibility to think about alternative fuels, drop-in fuels, and as we progress further out towards the end of next decade, maybe there will be, you know, availability of uh, electric fuels or, or renewable fuels. Um, you know, or fuels from renewable sources, etc. So, you know, um, we think that on top of the gas as fuel, dual fuel engine, that both methanol and ammonia shows quite some potential, but maybe more into next decade rather than just now. Clearly, this transition to green shipping is not going to be cheap. Um, and the maritime forecasts suggest that the transition might be constrained by the access to capital and that shipping, and in your words, may need to look beyond the traditional means of ship financing and tap into the wider green finance sector to overcome this barrier. So on the one hand, there's a constraint from the access. Uh, and on the other hand, um, your report warns of a lack of bunkering infrastructure for alternative fuels. And we tend to focus on the ship owners and what they should be doing to tackle the climate change. But these other factors, these other stakeholders must evolve quickly as well. Now, is that happening? Well, I think we can um, say that uh, it isn't really happening at the sufficient speeds that we would like it to happen. And I think this goes all the way back to the IPCC report that you mentioned in the beginning. I mean, the energy transition at large really needs to take on board more renewable energies. And some of those renewable energy producers will then again produce the e-fuels or the synthetic fuels that are so important for the shipping community to make use of. And um, if you look at 
both methanol and ammonia. It doesn't make much sense unless they are produced in a sustainable and green way. And I think that is where we will see the biggest hindrance for these fuels to really, you know, at scale be implemented in shipping is the lack on the production side and then subsequently the infrastructure that needs to be in place to make it happen for and make it available for the ship owners. So the green transition in shipping is underway, although the various strategies appear confused and to a degree confusing. Um, what is clear is that ship owners are looking for a structured approach that takes in all the many risks. The, the decarbonisation pathway is one such uh, approach. Ship owners won't achieve decarbonisation on their own. However, there's much that can be done today to prepare for what will be a, a period of enormous change. Thank you, Knut, for your insight on the decarbonisation pathway. And I know there's a lot more uh, in, in the report. Thank you very much. And thank you too for listening to this Lloyd's List podcast. Mm-hmm.